Cardboard Studios presents. Heavy Cardboard, Episode 20, Virsin Das Volk. Coming to you from hot and beautiful Denver, Colorado, welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. I'm Tony. Get started, let you guys know how to get in touch with us on Twitter, at Heavy Cardboard, Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Email us. We like email, heavycardboard at gmail.com. Hit us up on our website, heavycardboard.com. Please, as always, take a moment and rate us or, God forbid, review us on iTunes and Stitcher. Speaking of which, thanks go out to those that left reviews to us uh, or for us on iTunes. Lega Laws, Trinant, and Marcin B7. Much appreciated, y'all. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah, definitely. It's... Uh, it, it always makes my day a little bit happier, a little bit brighter when I read a new review. And I know that might not be the case if and when we get a negative review, but I'll be honest, we haven't got any yet, so that's awesome. <laughs> Let's continue that trend. Well, I'm sure they're coming. <laughs> Perhaps after this episode. It, we'll see. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's remind everybody about our sponsorship from Game Surplus. Good people, great reputation, great inventory of games, a lot of imports, and hard-to-find games. Their tagline is the home of great games at great prices. Give them a shout-out at www.gamesurplus.com. And when you do, take a moment and let them know you heard about them or, you know, Heavy Cardboard sent you. We'd appreciate it. Spring has sprung. Boy, has it. Dude, it was almost 80 degrees the last two days here. I used the air conditioner in my car today. <laughs> I had... Well, not all the windows, but I'm having to use only my right arm to raise the windows because oh, yeah. for those that don't know, I've been out of work for the last week and this is going to be the second week because I injured my back getting out of bed last or a week ago last Sunday. Oh, man. And seriously, if, that does, if that's not the epitome of getting old, like I tried to get out of bed and next thing I know, I'm out of work for two weeks. The thing is, if I worked a desk job, I would have been fine. I, yeah. I could have worked. But the fact that I crawl all over helicopters with uh, and doing avionics work, not so much. So a couple things to bring up here. Uh, my very sincere thanks go out to those that donated for St. Baldrick's Charity Shave-A-Thon yeah. uh, to fight pediatric cancer. Um, I got a pretty good haircut out of the deal. We raised a couple hundred bucks uh, for a damn good cause. And, and I'm hoping next year that I might be able to challenge some other uh, board game podcasts out there to... Uh, do the same. A shave-a-thon. Yeah. A shave-off. Yeah. I mean, Something. hey, it's a, hey, especially with the weather, the way the weather's been oh, lately, yeah. man, this is the ideal haircut. Got the beard shaved, left the goatee, but everything else got shaved. You are much less hirsute than normal. Yes. A little bit, uh, was it, uh, high-speed, low-drag, like we used to say <laughs> in the Marine Corps. Right on. Um, also, I, I started a 2015 Anticipation Games yeah. uh, Geek List on BGG. There's some good discussion going on about it, and... It seems to be well-liked. Got over 200 thumbs, which I've never gotten before. That's cool. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. At least one person we know of 
found our show because of that list as well. Yeah, that was cool to yeah. hear about that, man. That's because I'm always curious whenever we get new listeners or you know people in the guild sure. on BGG or whatever, and and they're like, yeah, I just found your show. I'm like, cool. How? <laughs> you know, well, you are the king of all heavy cardboard media, so well, you I know, can understand I, your curiosity. Yeah, I want to know what's working, I, and I have and, that curiosity too, man. Yeah, plus, it's just cool to hear where people hear about us. You know, yeah. Only other really kind of BS thing I got, you know, here is uh, HeavyCon shaping up. That's right. We uh, we started to get some RSVPs in, uh, some people from out of town, which I'm excited about. I'm nervous uh, because this is only supposed to be a fairly small soiree, and I hope not everybody RSVPs. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you do like, a, let me send 50 invitations and hope that 20 accept? Not quite that many. I mean, it, I'm just generalizing numbers. Sure, yeah, there. yeah, yeah, but... Kind of. Okay. Yeah, well. well, no. I actually there are four or five that I sent Im- invitations to that I know for a fact can't come. Sure. Um, yeah. But yeah. you know, want to include them. Yeah. Exactly. Good, and, good folks. Yeah. We so. can uh, overflow. Right. It's going to be Memorial Day, gorgeous weekend. So overflow onto the onto uh-huh. the patio. Right. And yeah. play out on the backyard That's or right. on the back deck. So yeah. Hopefully it goes well. Looking forward to it. Should be fun. Cool. The only thing I've got to add, I guess, to all that mess of conversation there is uh we mentioned it last episode we we gave away the aquasphere copy that we had extra to a to a deserving home it was uh it was easy to randomize there were there were only six entries so <laughs> roll a dice and boom yeah. and it went so, out so it yeah went out, so so uh in the spirit of games going to different places what have you acquired recently sir Four things. Four things. Okay. Um, okay. Although three of which are, are Kickstarters that just got delivered. Okay. Uh, the first of which was March of the Ants. Oh, yeah. I saw um, that box. Yeah. Right cool there Cool looking tiles me. on the back. Oh, it, the artwork's gorgeous. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I hope the gameplay is good. Um, the artwork's fantastic. And are there little ant meeples or anything? Uh, no, no. But okay. it, I can always take the one out of, uh, was it Merms or yeah. Mermies or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but no, looks good. Um, the other two Kickstarters, uh, Chicago Express with the two expansions that came with it, and German Railways. Yeah, I want to play that. I know some people are really down on Queen Games as far as Kickstarter, yada, yada, yada. I got it for one reason and one reason only. I'm a big 18xx fan, and a lot of people that are 18xx fans are also fans of winsome games mm-hmm. and these queen reprints mm-hmm. are of winsome games yeah. in fact we're going to be talking about one of them pretty extensively later on in the episode right. and so when i backed this i backed it thinking huh let's find out if i like winsome games you know if i if i like those style sure. of train games and so yeah so uh haven't gotten them to the table because they got here on saturday have you played a chicago express no i uh, i had previously played german railways yeah. and i did like a a, a mini trailer yeah, yeah, way that. back yeah God and that's why i'm interested episodes. in playing that and i've played chicago express and that's pretty cool too good so i'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting those to the table and the other thing is uh a big big props to a listener of ours brian he sent me a uh an email on Friday, uh, two weeks ago Friday, saying, hey man, there's a good price on a copy of Indonesia, Um, go check it out if you want, and I snagged it, and so that has since arrived, been inventoried, and we played it on Saturday. We did. And it was a blast. It was completely different than our first play of it um, the week prior, and so yeah, I'm just chomping at the bit to play it some more. Me too. But but yeah, Indonesia was the last I needed one more turn. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I ended it early you to did. try and 
try and hold you guys off because I, I, I was either going to be first or fourth. And only because I ended it when I did was I able to uh, to squeak out a victory in that. So yeah, that's all I've been. Uh, that's all I've acquired. How about you? Anything? Uh, three things: Twilight Struggle. Oh yeah, right? duh. So right. Just cause... got that recently. Played that. And Locomotive Verks. Um, speaking of Winsome slash Queen. Right. And um, I got the. I saw this on an auction. I got it uh, really at a, at a great price, and that's. Kashgar Handler der Siedenstrasse, which is merchant, singular, I guess, okay. of the Silk Road. So the one merchant of the Silk Road. There's only one. Apparently of them. so. Okay. Maybe the winner becomes the, <laughs> the Handler. Now, I saw, I, I know nothing about the game, yeah. I'll be honest. I saw the emails back and forth between you and one of our listeners, Murr, right. discussing that and yeah. him giving you... Uh, feedback on it. A, ger- a German cheat sheet. Yeah. and that Because was... the cards are, it's a deck builder and the cards are German. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end, right? Like, it's got some good iconography on them, but some of the cards have German on them. Okay. So, yeah. it. But uh, but it's cool. We played it with the German cards and, and Merz cheat sheet and uh, it's a deck builder and you're building three different decks at the same time and pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to giving it a try because, let's face it, anything you play, eventually I'm going to, so... Right on. <laughs> so hunting. Yeah. How about you? Anything? Ah, uh, not really. I mean, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, not right now. Princess of the Renaissance. The only reason I even bring that up because I know people are aware. Yeah. <laughs> right. Is we had a funny interaction on Twitter on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. We're we're getting ready to play Indonesia, and we got a text, or I'm sorry, we got a, a tweet from uh, a uh, you know friend of the show type thing, Kimberly, mm-hmm. and her husband Jordan. They found a copy for me yeah. for 120 bucks, and I was like, man, in shrink, yeah. And I was like, man, that's a pretty fair price. I was like, yeah, go ahead. And they're like, oh, it's at your favorite store. Mm. And what they live in the Northeast. I, I think it's Massachusetts. Or maybe it's New Hampshire, Connecticut, somewhere in the Northeast. But the thing is, is the store that they're referencing is Myriad Games. And the reason I have a problem with their local store is Myriad Games is Game Saloon. Mm. So I was like, you know what? No, thanks. I'll wait for another copy. Hey, you got principles, right? You got to stick by them. So I do. The only other two things are 18 Arden, which I mentioned last right. episode, and if I can find it cheap, Ladies of Trois. Yeah. Um, because I know that is, I mean, it's like 60, 70 bucks for the expansion, and from what I heard, when it first came out, people were talking that it's not worth the price, uh, you know, that it was going for, 25, 30 bucks. Yeah. And now because it's out of print, it's over double that, and I'm like, you know, I don't want it that bad, but hey, if I find it for a good price, sure, I'll get it. I have it, and I think it's pretty cool. You can get most of the expansion just by buying purple dice. Okay, good to know. Uh, but there are some new scoring cards, and um, the the bonus scoring for moving around the wall is kind of cool, too. So Yeah, I'd like it, but I'm not killing myself over yeah. it. So, hunting, not really. So, moving on to things we've been playing. We've been playing a lot of games together. Yeah, for the most part. And instead of you know kind of doing two lists here, figure we'd... We'd kind of team up on the, since the majority of what we've been playing has been, 
you, me, and probably other people. And other, and other folks of various uh, configurations. Right. Uh, Virsendas Volk, Virsendas Volk, Locomotive Works, Locomotive and Grand Crew. Grand Crew, Dominant all, Species. All three of those we're going to be hitting on pretty in-depth tonight. A we little are. bit different than normal. Like you said, Dominant Species, Indonesia, Indonesia Twilight, Twilight Struggle, Struggle, and Rolling Freight. Rolling Freight, that's right. And you were you were pretty apprehensive about Rolling Freight because of the fact that it's... It's dice based, kind mm-hmm. of, um, and both of us were pleasantly surprised. Yeah, we was, didn't play a full game, right? Um, just kind of messed around with it. A couple me of turns, right. more than that. We, oh yeah, we, we played the first age. Is basically okay. what it came down to. Yeah, and we were like, yeah, okay, we can we can explore this further. This it's is cool. cool. Yeah. So, but is there? That's all I've been playing. Um, what about you? The I think there's just two things. The Kashgar, the, the the deck builder with the German cards. Oh, 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 wait. What's the rest of the name of that? I forget. Handler der, der, blah. Handler der Stiedenstrasse. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm cutting that. Stiedenstrasse. Handler der Stiedenstrasse. Well done. Man, I need to have some booze. <laughs> um, and, and Florenza. Oh, that's right. Yesterday, my friend Matt and I learned Florenza. And that, that will factor into our conversation later. I have no idea how, but I'm will. looking forward it will. to it. it will. Okay, cool. Teasing you. All right. Shall we talk about Locomotive Verks? Yeah, let's. So Locomotive Verks was originally published in 2002, recently reprinted, uh, designed by Dieter Donziger, published by Winsome Games originally, and in, in that that reprint from Queen Games, plays three to five players. A uh, couple hours. Yeah. 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 Thereabouts. Mm-hmm. We've only played it so far. Five player. Five player. And what sparked it for us is the some similarities to Automobile that we had just recently reviewed. Right. And so we figure, okay, hey, that'd be a good time to touch base with, uh, on the game and sure, check it sure. out. And some listeners were talking about it. So players buy factories and capacity for those factories and then produce trains using them to meet demand and make money. The first player to have 300 bucks in their hand triggers the end of the game. After paying 10% taxes, though. Correct. <laughs> this game explains the how and why trains rust in 18xx games. Yeah. Although, this isn't anywhere near an 18xx game. New. Basically, it's the train rush and the train rusting mechanism from an 18xx game taken out and made into its own game yeah. that gives you locomotive verks. The demand for trains that players build is determined by the rolling of dice prior to the start of the round. So unlike an automobile, players know the demand prior to their actions. Players then have a choice of building a new factory of existing train types, of which there are four parallel tracks of types of train factories, or they can build one type newer. Then players, in turn order, may buy more production capability, and then after all the players have done that, Again, in turn order, mm-hmm. players sell trains up to their capability and up to the maximum of one of the dies worth of demand. Then the next player builds and sells trains, etc. After all the players have had a chance to sell all the types of trains, uh, again, up to one die's worth, the first player may then sell again, just as they did, again, up to one die's worth of demand. Mm-hmm. As newer, better, and more profitable factories to build trains become available and are built, 
the demand for trains that the older factories build drops until eventually there's simply no more demand for the older trains and they cease to exist. You better get out of them. Right. So like I said, that's the how and why of the rusting of trains in an 18xx but made into its own game. As technology advances, dice, which again represent demand, are lost on the older trains and added to the newer trains. And that's the representation of folks wanting the, quote-unquote, cult of the new trains. (laughs) So that's kind of the gist of, of what goes on in Locomotive Verks. So first off, things that I dig that are cool, the first thing is it's 18xx meets automobile. The theme makes sense. And it's one that I'm immediately drawn to, being a fan of, of both of those things. The artwork is beautiful oh, in this dude, game. the cards. The, the, the cards that represent the trains and the trains themselves that, that are on the board are just... They're, they're kind of understated and muted in color, but they're really beautiful. They're really, really good artwork on there. Yeah, I, I the Kickstarter, the Queen Kickstarter, even had a I, maybe a stretch goal or whatever, a poster of all the train art. That Which, would that, that would have been sense. cool. Sure, yeah, yeah. That would have yeah. been cool. So in this game, you know, you talked about the demand similarity wise and everything. And in Martin Wallace's automobile, you you see a portion of the demand, and you know this fixed range for the demand. But in this game, when it's time to sell trains, you know exactly what the demand is already. The dice were rolled prior to making your quote unquote important decisions, I guess. So you know exactly what the demand level is. And before that happens, you know the demand level is going to be of a certain variance because of how many dice are possible to roll. So with, so with that, with those dice and seeing the demand and maybe you know manipulating your capacity depending on what your turn order is, this can be a kind of a nasty little business game. Oh, absolutely, and and very little forgiveness. You bring up the turn order. The game is all about turn order. Yeah, the leader which is he or she, whatever. Sure. He with the most cash on hand goes last, and that's used to balance the game. Whoever, whomever has the most cash is last to sell, and it's likely there's likely to either be no demand or greatly diminished demand so that the players behind, that's the quote-unquote catch-up mechanism. But the players have to manipulate it to get to that catch-up mechanism. By the spending game, your money. Right. The game does not hand you a catch-up mechanism. There is no inherent, you know, hey, okay, don't worry. Even if you fall behind, you're going to be able to catch up. No, no. In this game, you have to manipulate it to be able to get to that catch-up mechanism or else or else you're SOL. Yeah, I think the, uh, the turn order sometimes is a consolation prize for people that are being played by the game, and it's a tool for people that are playing the game. Funny you mentioned that because the first time we dis- oh, we we played this this Saturday we kind of played it twice but not really the first time we tried to play it we felt like wait there's really no decisions to make like the game was playing us and we we got into it about I don't know thirty forty five minutes into the game we were like as a group there were five of us we were like and somebody hey. tanked themselves right and we were like hold on let's go ahead and restart restart and Lessons see how learned. it is right. And only then did we realize how manipulating turn order is so important. And only then did the game start to really make sense. Sometimes you want to build capability that you're simply never going to use 
just to be able to spend money so that you're higher in turn order. Right. So that you can sell more trains before your opponents while at the same time crushing their hopes and dreams of selling trains. <laughs> and like you said, like like most strong economic games, it there's a take no prisoners, almost a mean, cruel aspect to this game. It is. That I really like because... I know what to expect going into the game. I know what kind of game this is going to be. Yeah, we started rolling pretty quick at one point and just changing out cash and selling trains and flipping dice and pissing people off and stuff like that. I'd mentioned that like a lot of strong economic games, there's kind of that take no prisoner part. Well, also in a lot of heavy, pure economic games... It's within the player's control to ensure that there's not a runaway leader. I read once that if keeping the status quo as it is, there's going to be, you you can't catch up. Like Mm -hmm. if there's going to be a runaway leader and it's just going to become exponentially worse, it's on you to change the status quo. Even if it means that it hurts you in the short term, you have to do something sure. to change the status quo or else you're just going to get housed. Well, and this game... Doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome is the definition of insanity, insanity right? right? Yeah, and so I dig how it's not... This is not a hand-holding game no. in any way, shape, or form. No. One of the things that does not hold your hand is... There is a pretty relentless pace of keeping up with technology. As people push the trains forward, that means dice are going to start falling off of the trains behind. Which means there's less demand. And even though you can produce a lot, if there's not a demand for it, you know who what you're not doing? You're not selling trains. That's right. I mean, there, was, there were points in the game where I had capacity on locomotive factories that were not producing because there, were, there was no demand. And so it was on you to... Shift them over. Right, shift it to to more newer uh, factories. So you mentioned that whole train rush thing. Mm -hmm. And just like an 18xx game, the decision to accelerate the train rush or not is a non-obvious decision. Like I had multiple times where I had the money on hand to go ahead and buy a more advanced train. But I decided... Yeah, maybe I shouldn't do it. I feel like I'm making more money than everyone else. So why am I trying to push the end of the game? I'm not. I'm letting, letting if things stay the status quo, I'm going to be just fine. It's on you guys to mm-hmm. push it in that case. And on top of that, there was a time where I was the only person selling a certain make and model of train. And if there's no competition, why do I want to get out of that? Well, sometimes, too, if you... Uh, push the technology track forward and you buy the next train you've just opened up the next train for somebody else (laughs) exactly and and on top of that you have to worry about keeping up your capacity because when you buy that new train it comes with a capacity to make one train and that's it you have to then either buy new capacity which is expensive Mm -hmm. or upgrade existing capacity on older factories and bring it up to the current ones, which that that's another reason to not necessarily push trains, right. depending on the timing, because you might want to take all this capacity, all these factory workers, mm-hmm. 
you know, from this old obsolete factory that aren't doing anything for you and get them up to a current factory to where they're actually producing trains that are going to be sold. But there's still some uh, value in the uh, in the soon-to-be-rusted ones, too. You know, like, you uh, you started the game with that very first train. Right, with you, that. I think you were the first player. Yep, Probably right. why. And... No, actually, I was fourth. Were you fourth? Okay. I was fourth. Oh, everybody bought up the... Yep. Uh, uh, gotcha. When that train started to rust, I bought one. And I sold a few trains. Because people are getting, you know... It, it's okay to get into older technology because you're going to spend some money. You can shift the capacity to a future locomotive production. And people are getting out of that market, so you can sell some trains. Yeah, especially if they're completely out of it. It's an, There's a demand for it, yeah. but if nobody's producing, it might make sense... To go ahead and jump in, you know, at the back of the bus, so to speak, at the at, at the back of the line, and you know, make a few dollars by being able to do that. Because the capacity that you buy, you always get full value because you upgrade it minus the cost that you originally put into sure, it. Sure, sure. So it makes no sense not to invest in it. Yeah, even if you're not going to build anything, just to manipulate turnover by spending the money. Exactly. You're, you'll shift it in the future by spending more money. You know, so yeah. I thought that the game had an arc to it that um, of of three, like a bell curve. So in the beginning, it's a very slow buildup, and it's pretty critical to manage things correctly. And it it took a little bit of a while for us to get going on things, and then we reached this middle part part of the game when we were in like the oh I guess that the middle third of the board even and. Man, the game was dynamic and exciting at that point. The first part was a little like dry, right? I mean, and and slow burn. The the decisions almost I, uh, I don't want to say non were non important. I oh don't no. I, no, they weren't that. Uh, I think they're critical. But they they were less interesting. I feel like in the in the beginning and then they got more as the game went on. As people started getting money and buying the new trains, things things got more interesting, more exciting. And, man, the competition for the turn order and making decisions on whether to push technology or stay behind. and All of us really warmed up to the game in that middle arc. And then the end game. The arc came right back down to earth, in my opinion. It slowed down both in dynamism and excitement. We all ended up bunched up at the end of the technology track. Everybody was in the same locomotives. It was just about turn order and what the die faces showed every time they were rolled. And I didn't like the end game. No one had any reason to spend any money, so the turn order was really um, static at one point. And it was just a matter of, okay, what are the dice going to be? I'm fourth. Can I sell any of this train or that train? And it was just a... The game was playing us to the finish at the end. And I agree with you. And as you pointed out, you know, any game with... I shouldn't say any game, but in a lot of games that have dice in which you're actually rolling the dice and they're not just used as markers or whatever, they can be a deciding factor in the game. But and, but I think it was only a, a one factor. I agree with you. No, that no, was no. one factor. I, yeah, but I, the other factor was we were all there at the end. Let me be clear. I wasn't... I don't have a problem with the dice in the game. It's just I only had a problem with the dice in the game when we were all bunched up at the end. And that's when the only time the dice really had an impact on who was going to sell in the in the fixed static turn order that had developed. And I really think the game, at that point, 
stayed longer than it should have as well. Because we were just, all right, who's got 334 bucks? Two things I want to point out. One, even though in this game the dice weren't necessarily a factor in deciding who wins the game, I do think that in this game they can. You can mitigate it a little bit, but if you're consistently getting on the short end of the stick of the dice... Right. There's no way you can recover from that. I'm just saying potentially in sure. future games that that's a, that in, is a potential. But in the beginning, fall. mid-game, it's less impactful than at the end. Sure. One other thing that in my reading and, and preparing for a review today that I was reading, and it makes a lot of sense, is the game says it's for three to five players. But a lot of people will only play this game with four players specifically, or four and five, and not three players. And the reason is, is the game doesn't scale itself. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no fewer dice that come out, you know, as the game goes on. And so with three players, you have a chance, uh, truly, of a runaway leader, because Mm -hmm. there's, if there's a bunch of fives and sixes on these dice, the third player, even though they're third, can still be able to sell enough to where you're not going to be able to catch up. Whereas in a four or five player mm-hmm. game, since the dice don't change as far as the quantity of the dice, if sure. you're later in that turn order, there is that that kind of bottleneck to where you're not going to be able to sell as much. Yeah. So I think that's a that's something to be aware of going forward as well. With the higher player counts, that's where the the juicy competition comes into. Yeah, and it, it just I. It's a play at your own risk with three, and realistically, if we had three players, we'd probably pick another game to play. Let me ask you this. I was thinking about it, and and don't get me wrong, I like the game, um, and I would play it again. I wonder if the game would be better if it was played to 220 or 230 instead of $300. Hear me out. Maybe the game would end nearer to that mid-arc, of the game where it's most dynamic and most exciting. And, and by doing that, the decisions would be more meaningful. Do I race ahead? Do I stay back? Um, you know, so a little more tension maybe in the technology race in the later third of the game. Plus it would make the game a little shorter. That's possible. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's at least a valid thought. Mm-hmm. Secondly, maybe not, because of the second, uh, because of the fact that we have one play, so it, oh, yeah, could, it yeah. could be that. I mean, I know there are people out there that have played this forty and fifty times. Good. That would say no, that you're just not seeing the the way the end sure, game quite possible. Plays, which that's that's mm-hmm. possible. <laughs> I do think that is a sixty to seventy five minute game thereabouts that. It this, would be a great game. It would be game. fantastic. Or, or, yeah, I don't want to say great. Fantastic. It'd awesome. be a very good, good game. Yeah. It would be something I really enjoy. At two hours, which is about what it took us, mm-hmm. um, for a five-player. When, when one-third of that was the boring end. It was the, bo- the end was boring. But again, it might have just been the way the game played out. And see that the, and I'm this exaggerating, right here, but you get the feeling. And this is, right here is why we try and, with this being only an extended trailer and yeah. not being a future review... This is why for our future reviews, we try and play a game four and five times so that we can kind of get a better feel and maybe Absolutely. answer this question on our own. But, but we thought it was an interesting right. enough game. This game got some thoughts going in us. Right. And so we were like, you know, maybe we should 
go ahead and talk about this a little bit as a trailer. So, sum up, fun game. It's one that I really want to play again and yes. I, uh, multiple times because I want to find out if if our group is broken in a sense that we don't hear me out. It, that our group it, group think to where the the style of our play makes for that, or if maybe the game's a little bit more dynamic than we saw in that first play. Cool. Yeah, I totally want to play this game some more and figure out what's going on in the game a little deeper. And, yeah, did we play too aggressively or, you know, I I don't know the answers yet, but looking forward to finding out. Yeah, so rating, it's probably too early for either one of us to rate, but uh, definitely looking forward to playing it some more. And that's Locomotive Verks. So I believe you wanted to talk a little wine making. Mm, wine drinking is good. Wine making games are good too. Uh, wine ma- uh, wine drinking's better though. Mm, yeah. <laughs> How about drinking wine while playing wine making games? Absolutely sold. Sign me up. Grand Cru. So Grand Cru is a 2010 release from Eggerspiele by Ulrich Bloom, and it's a two to five player game. It takes a couple hours. The higher player counts quicker than that with two. What's happening in the game is that players are running what is essentially a startup vineyard. And at the very beginning of the game, you're going to take out a desired number of loans that are going to finance your company until you can create and age the wine that you'll be able to sell in a fluctuating market, of course. During the game, you're going to bid on various varieties of grapes that will produce varieties of wine. Each wine has a different aging requirement before it can be sold at the market. The older wines are more likely to sell at higher prices in the market. Also, improvements to your vineyard are up for bid during the game, too. Improvements just help make your actions more efficient. Each year in the game, because a game turn represents a year, and you're going to play 7, 10, 11 years of the game, depending on aggressiveness of the players, every year there is a wine festival. And based upon the amounts of the different wines sold during the year, the players will earn prestige points at the festival. And those points are going to be spent on various bonus actions that just help you a little bit at the end of the year. You know, maybe catch up, make a little headway on uh, on your competitors. At the end of every year, every player is going to need to pay the interest on their loans, of course. Which always is a terrible thing. A terrible thing. And they can pay off some or all of their loans. Or... Maybe they're not doing so well. They can take out some more loans because they need a little extra financing for the coming year. Hey, leave me alone, all right? (laughs) I was learning the game, all right? I was learning the game. The game will end when at least one player has paid off all of their loans. Or if a player is required to take their 12th loan. No, you did not have to No, I did not go that bad, all right? At that point, all of the vineyards are evaluated for their cash value and then the amount of cash you have on hand after paying off loans if you were not the person that did so and the value of your of your vineyard estate are all tallied up and the player with the most value is the winner of the game. Yeah, that summed it up pretty well. The thing off the top that I really enjoy about the game is just the notion of it of taking on the financing debt to begin the operation of your business and then trying to operate successfully enough and limit future financing and then finally paying off your loans from a successful business. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the theme. That notion. Um, No, that notion. Oh, oh, no, both. Startup, vineyard. I love that, 
like a real vineyard, you're not going to produce wine right away because you have to grow it, you have to harvest it, you have to age, age it. it. I don't know of... I know of three winemaking games off the top of my head. Right. Vinos. Vinos. Viticulture. Yes. And Grand Cru. Yes. We, and we've played them all. Right. And none of them have this aspect except for Grand Cru. Yes. About the whole, okay, look, I'm going into debt. I'm going to start a vineyard, but it's going to take me a little while to get started because right. I'm not going to produce wine unless, you know, maybe it's a Beaujolais Nouveau yeah. that, that, that's going to be produced, you know, in year one. All players um, are instantly playing the long game. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. And I dig the end game condition. First player to be in the black. Whoever's debt free. That's going to end that the game. That triggers the end of the game. Or if somebody totally screwed up and they're tanked, they, they'll end the game because they have to take on so much debt. I'd prefer to think positive, I, though. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Agreed. And I, I like that you take out loans on the turn prior so, save for emergency loans, like if you did really piss poor planning. Right. Uh, and you can't pay your interest. Right. So, it really forces you to look ahead and plan out your next turn. Yeah. And you're not only planning out what you're going to do, you have to pay attention to what everyone else yeah. is doing at the table. What's like planning my business? Okay. Do I need to acquire some more grapes? Or, oh, look at that improvement that's going to be available. Or do I need, just need to sit tight and sell wine? It's like planning a business. Right. The wine festival, I think, is a cool mechanic. The way you spend prestige points. And yeah. for a change, prestige points are not the goal of the game. It's not a victory point game. No, it's not. So you're spending these prestige points at the wine festival that you earned for these special actions. So you're not giving up money, which are victory points. You're giving up something that only matters for turn order. And I, I, I dig that. So yeah. you kind of, you choose without, you know, cut, uh, cutting off your nose to spite your face type thing to where you're not spending victory points. And it's almost like a, a second scoreboard, but it is. it's only for turn order yeah. and these special actions. I, I just think that that's pretty ingenious. I dig that. The bidding mechanic is pretty cool in the game. It's a very simple auction where you just, you can... Grab a one of the tiles, be it an improvement or a variety of grape, and put it up for bid. Now you can bid one to six dollars for that, or you can just say, you know what, I'm not going to put it up for bid. I'm just going to snag it for seven bucks. Bin. It's seven bucks, but you don't have to worry about somebody, you know, outbidding you right. for it. Like you said, bin a buy it now price yeah. of seven. If I put this uh, grape variety up for bid at three. Someone could bid four, five. It could go around the table a couple of times. Plus, there's with five players, there's five different things up for bid at any one time. So you just don't know what's going to happen. But if I put it up for three, you might be thinking highly of it and say, Shit, Ben, won't ever come back to me. Right. But if it does come back to me, I can buy it at whatever the price is. Or not. Or not. Or, or you can or, choose to take another action and, and kind of just, just leave it hanging out there like, yeah, I'll take it for three eventually. That's right. But you don't have to right now. So I, I dig that, yeah, that, that auction mechanic, but also the variety of actions. And that with the auction, the auction is going on at the same time that all these other things are going on. Yeah. And it's up to you to decide when, where, and how. Yep. I like that uh, players are in control over how long a year is. I was just going to bring yeah, that go up. For yeah, it. go for it. The, the end of the year... 
the end of a given year or or, or a turn, mm-hmm. um, it's a hundred percent player controlled. It is, um, and and it could be mean. It can be, and it can be. I think part of the goal in this game is to manipulate other people to end it when you want it ended, and obviously. I've only played the game once, so I'm not good enough to get that manipulation. Mm-hmm. But I see it. I see that it yeah. could be done. And trying to manipulate the other players and everything into basically doing your bidding without them. And I don't mean bidding for the auction, but yeah. bidding like you will do this now. Well, you can do that. I, I, I've only played it three. Not that that's a lot, but what you can say... I'm going to harvest down to one grape because when one of the players has harvested their last grape at a certain point in the turn, that signals the end. Everybody else gets one more turn. So you can like harvest down to one grape and that's now a threat. I will end the turn immediately. So if you want that, you better bin it. That's more money out of their pocket and stuff like that. And you might just milk it a little bit more and then end it when you're ready or some, you know, so it can be the other way. You can cut the other way too. So the game's not perfect what game is sure and we use a couple of variants we use the turn order variant based upon prestige points in the festival and we played with a price variant that is uh, effective in the marketplace like a, a brand identity brand identity right yeah, i think that's yep. what they even call it where yep. when the prices go up you can set your mark one of your precious bidding markers on that to maintain a certain price so if the price drops you have some protection but if the price goes up too bad for you. You're still selling it at the lower price. So it's kind of cool. And uh, I think those things help the game go along a bit a bit better. Having not played without those variants, uh, I can't imagine not playing with them. Yeah. Um, First game, that's why we decided. Right, to. right. There, there was one issue that I had, though. Yeah, what's that? Um, with, specifically with that variable turn order one, was... Going back to the wine festival, being able to select those actions uh, using those those prestige points. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of them is taking the first player marker. Well, the way that variant is written is you just swap player order. Right. And so if that player was fourth, the whoever was first isn't now second. They're now fourth. They're fourth. Yeah. And that, that felt a bit clunky and a little sure. punitive to me. It is um, a it is a variant. Player variant. Sure, 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 so sure. It could be played anyway. Sure, but that, yeah. that that was one thing that kind and of I, I agree with you kind there. of stuck in my yeah. craw a little. It'd be better to shift turn right. order. To where, okay, you were first, you go to second, and everybody right. slides down. Right. So if we're gonna talk about things that maybe weren't our favorite mm-hmm. about the game, yeah, sure. um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the graphic design is not stellar in the game. Yeah. Uh, the improvement tiles were vague at best. And, and they're, they're small. They're hard to read. They're, they're quite busy. Well, when you say hard to read, you mean the symbology yeah. on them because there's no yeah. words on there. Vague and, and busy. Yeah, which that's a terrible mix in my opinion. And then talking about the wine festival... There are there are four oh, yeah. or five There's of like, those actions that are that there are six or seven that are totally clear yep. that, that are obvious, but there are four or five that I think every year one of what us was do? asking you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, what's that one do again? And it's just 
it could have been improved upon and it's not a it wouldn't have been a hard thing to do yeah but yeah it is what it is i guess the money's horrible that comes in the game well it's paper money <laughs> we so. use heavy cardboard money yep but uh the the grape tiles are clear and good yes yeah. i i i appreciate uh the different varietals of the grapes um the probably the biggest problem i had with the actual game though is that the coolest part of the game, yeah. which is the auction... Read my mind. Almost entirely, if not entirely, just evaporates in the second half to the final third of the game. It just it yeah. just doesn't happen anymore because mm. everybody has their their vineyards kind of established already. And then it's just yeah. a matter of selling and aging yep. and manipulating and all that. And the auction just kind of goes away. And that, yeah. that sucks, that man. That is a bummer. That That really is. I was going to say the exact same thing. The auction part is a cool tool in the game. And in the latter stages of the game, it just kind of fades into the background. Even though it's an economic game, uh, it does have a bit of a race feel to it. And race games really aren't my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a me issue. That's sure, not sure. a game issue. Right. Um, but it definitely, do, does it come across as a race game to you as well? The first one to pay off their loans? Well, yeah. Um, I guess why the the race part that I don't mind about the game is, you know, we're racing based on our abilities to play the game. I'm running a better shop than you. I'm probably going to pay my loans off before you. And, and you know that kind of a thing. And that that could be, but it just it gave me a race feel, kind of mm -hmm. like a Manhattan Project yeah. is a race game. Right, right, right. Um, and it just that's just not my cup of tea. Sure, yeah. Dig economic games, you oh, know yeah. that. Oh, yeah. But but yeah, I was just kind of eh. Sure. And and there are some uh, colorblind issues um, in the game, which yeah. one of our buddies who plays it with us is colorblind, so uh, managed. You know, we, yes, it, it is playable. It yes. just it could have been better. The grapes, you can tell what they are because they're labeled. Right. The cubes, not, not so, so much. much. <laughs> right. And Jinx, you owe me a Coke. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that was that's an issue that I wanted to point out. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, my summary on the game is uh, it's an imperf imperfect game, but one that um, has some interesting features and mechanics. And the variants make it a better game, in my opinion. And... About the only thing I really don't like about the game is my wife is 3-0. and <laughs> If she plays it, she whoops your butt almost consistently regardless of yeah. the game. So does that mean maybe we should get Robin for the show? Yeah, yeah. Well, I told her I was not allowing her to learn how to play Indonesia. Because <laughs> you enjoy playing it and yes. you want to be able to compete. But uh, I'm, I, I feel after three plays, I mean, I, I can rate the game. And I'm, I'm going to give it a four. With the variance and a three without the variance. Okay. In, in my opinion. And that's on a one to six so scale. So on a one to six So scale. that's above average. Above average, yes. Okay. All Indeed right. it is. I've only played it once, so I'm not I'm yeah. not comfortable rating it. Um, would I play it again? Yes. Am I excited to play it again? Meh. Meh. Yeah, yeah, so not... I mean, I'd play it if you really want to, but I'm not... Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not jonesing for it. We like it at our house and crack open the wine and play it and drink. Cool. Right on. That is Grand Crew. Workers of the world, unite! Let's talk about our main feature. Wir sind das Volk. 
1949. Germany's still in ruins from World War II. Split in two as the Iron Curtain of the Cold War descends. East Germany and West Germany become bitter rivals, each wanting to show its system is superior. Which will reconstruct quicker, which will make its people happier. Socialism versus capitalism. Collectivism versus individualism. Which will triumph? Wir sind das Volk, or We are the People, which was the main slogan of the East German demonstrators in 1989, the year the Berlin Wall fell, recreates the history of the divided Germany from the Berlin Airlift to the fall of the Berlin Wall. Published 2014, designed by Richard Siebel of Maria and Friedrich fame. Excellent. As well as Pierre Sylvester, who is the designer of King of Siam. Awesome game. The artist, Friedemann Bakau and Ricard Shako. Sorry, guys. Yeah, my, my apologies <laughs> for butchering those, y'all. Published by Histo Game. Player count, pretty simple. It's a two-player game. The two, end, end two. of story. Length of time, the box says two and a half hours. Really? Really. We'll get into that. So the components and graphic design. What do you think about them? Two and a half hours? <laughs> <laughs> if I'm, yeah, I, if I'm the, playing with my grandmother, maybe. Yeah, I, I, well, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, I'm sorry. Um, so components and graphic design. Yeah, the components and graphic design, I think, are um, interesting and good. Interesting in what way? Interesting in that um, they're like the cards. They're either of a yellow tone or a red tone, and Depending a couple on are on what side, right? You know, so that's that's kind of interesting, and and you know, it's like pen and ink drawings, so they're kind of cool. And the board is groovy looking. You know, I mean, they're not. It's not Michael Menzel kind of art, but it's. Uh, I think it's good for what it is. No, I I think the artwork gives a feel of the times. Yeah. It, it's very appropriate to the theme. It's utilitarian. In a good way, though, because it really does suit the theme of the game. I think of cold, gray apartment blocks in East Berlin when I look at the art. I think that's I yeah. think that's a fair take. Uh, the components themselves, they're solid. The, the counters are thick, yeah. um, easy to punch. There was. Uh, one nice thing about all the wooden pieces is they're all consistent colors and consistent size. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's no uh, misshapen things or... No uh, or, no parts from the island of misfit cubes. Right, exactly. Uh, Zanguo, I'm looking at you. The, the graphic design is quite good. I don't think there's anything terribly ambiguous or, or flat out, you know, wrong or missing yeah. uh, from the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's all pretty clear. So, I uh, thumbs up on that one. As far as the rule book clarity and the quality, um, there is some clarification that we had to do uh, to get onto BGG mm-hmm. in various plays, and and some things might arise and might not in different games. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's a big concern, though. Player aids would have been useful, um, but the nice thing is there are some yeah. on BGG. You can look them up on your iPad or print them out yep. ahead of time. Um, but as far as the rule book itself, I didn't find anything major, no major uh, emissions or, or, or clarity issues. Yeah, I, I guess I'd agree. I mean, there's some there's some clunky rules and stuff like that. You have to kind of hunt around, but I mean, it's not egregious, I guess. So as far as availability and cost, it's going for about 40 bucks, and it's fairly widely available right now. Uh, a lot of stores have it. I know at one time BGG store did have it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Game Surplus... Our sponsor is back ordered on it right oh, now. Oh, bummers! Yeah. 
As far as plays and player count, well, obviously, again, it's a two-player game, so that's what we've played it as. Uh, I have four. So plays. scalability factor is <laughs> not, not so really, much. Right? Uh, yeah. But I've played it four times, and and we've only played it what you once and I or twice. You and I played it once, once together, right? and we played which this Matt, would be interesting. Once against you, four times against Matt. Okay, so you've played it five times. Yes. I played it three times with Amanda and once, once with, with you. So what's going on? In Virsen das Volk, you might ask yourself. What's going on? Good thing you asked, Tony. Let me tell you. In Virsen das Volk, players take control of either the GDR, which is East Germany, or the FRG, West Germany, from 1949 until one side wins, or 1989 when the game will end automatically, which also happens to coincide with the falling of the Berlin Wall. Each player's goal is to build and strengthen their own economy and standard of living while at the same time causing the other player's side to collapse. To do that, you must build up infrastructure and factories within your own provinces which provide the economic boost and living standard increases that you need to win. You must do that while also managing unrest and putting down mass protests that will arise due to too much unrest in a single province. At its heart, Virsin Das Volk is a card-driven game. I'll probably refer to it as a CDG going forward. Please do. The game is played over four decades, each with their own deck of cards. Players are dealt two cards each, and then there's a common row of seven cards to choose from, as well as one special card for the East player only. Mm-hmm. Players take turn playing a card from either their hand or from the card row, or that East German card. Like most CDGs, you play it for either the event or for the op points or the operations points. There are a couple other options, such as using a card to remove a single unrest cube or improving the living standard of your side. Play alternates until the seven cards in the common row are all played by the players, and then the players deal out seven more common cards from the current decade deck. Once that second set of seven cards are all played, that triggers the end of the decade. Players then go through a series of procedural steps where the goal of the game is to force four mass protests for the other side at the end of any of the four decades in the game. The player that succeeds in doing that wins. Otherwise, if the game makes it to the end of the fourth decade and that hasn't happened, the East is declared the winner. The game can also end if there's not enough socialist cubes to either remove or place depending on which side you're on. That's Virsen Das Volk in a nutshell. Right on. So the first question I have for you, Tony, is what makes this game, I'd say, medium? Nothing. Do you think it's... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. No, no, medium or heavy? It's not, it's not heavy, and it's... I guess it's medium. No, I think it is. I think that uh, that comes from its depth. Well, let's start off talking complexity. The complexity, I think, is just some clunky rules about, like, West Berlin suppliers and... West Berlin doesn't get the minus one on the living standard difference and Western currency export. There's some clunky rules that you kind of got to look at and, and figure out. But th- and that's where the complexity is. The complexity isn't in the gameplay at all. Like me and Matt would always forget to take off unrest cubes. When you place a living, living standard. standard. You know, right. like, you know. The end of the decade procedure had me looking it up every decade. Every time. Yeah. And every Just to be safe. Uh, of the four games I've played, I've had to look it up every time. Yeah. In all four games. Yeah. Now, a cheat sheet would help in that, yeah. and now, as would repeated play. We go through it like that, and we move the, the thing down the board. Right. You know, we there's a track well. on sure. there. Right. 
But just because we consult the rules for every end of decade doesn't mean we, on each segment of that process, doesn't mean we consult each the rules on each process. No, it's some like, of them oh, get, wait, what's the step? Some of them oh, are second right. nature. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. 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 But, um, but some of them are like, oh, okay, we got to count all this and do all that. I would say, compl- I don't know if this really falls under complexity per se or not. And help me out with this. But understanding how everything intertwines and what you're supposed to be doing, it's really abstract and it's it's really hard to grasp early on. So I don't know if that's a get it thing or if that's a complexity thing. Because let's face it, the first time you and I played, we were just doing stuff to do it. We mm-hmm, didn't really mm-hmm. have anything, any set direction. Like, why am I doing this? I don't know. I'm just trying to do stuff. And so I don't know if that's a, like I said, a complexity thing or a get it factor. Well, I don't know. Let's jump ahead to get it. Cause I think it's get it, I guess. And that's after one decade, you kind of, you know, you know, the mechanics and things, but I think you need a full game for the for the picture of of why am I doing this and why am I doing that? And I have the exact same thing written down here on my notes that uh, that you need at least one full decade, but more than likely, if the game goes longer than one decade, you need that whole full game to mm-hmm. get a feel for what it is you're trying to do. And on that whole get it part, the West is harder to win with than the East, and I think it takes a more exp- it requires more experience to play the West well than it does the East. Mm-hmm. So jumping around a little, but yep. as far as planning, I think the game, there is some strategic planning, but as a whole, the game is really tactical yeah. because every half decade, you have those seven cards that are out in front of you, plus the two cards that are in your hand. So you know there are nine cards that I could play, or I guess ten if you're the East for the special card. Sure. And... That's it. I mean, you you until you memorize the cards and you know the yeah. decks, you don't know what else is coming, and so you're like, well, well, you, you know, you need some economy, you need some living standard, right? You, there are certain things you need, but so I, I, you don't really plan for them. I mean, you tactically acquire them. I think as you play it more and more, I think the 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 strategy would be there as far as. The knowing of the cards. Like, okay, I want to go ahead and work on the socialist track to build up this because I know that in the third decade, you know, the West is going to be able to hammer the... the and I'm giving a, a, just a, yeah, you know, yeah. a, a whatever example. Yeah, I guess so. There's some metagaming like that. Right, sure. as, as, as you learn the game more. But mm-hmm. early on, I feel like the less experience you have, the more tactical the game is. So let's move on to the luck and random factors. Let's do so. Other than the order in which the cards come out and the couple of cards in a given decade that don't come out. Right. Other than that, is there anything else that I'm forgetting? No, it's just what's available from half decade to half decade from the deck of cards. That's the only like really random thing. Okay. Do you think that, see that as a positive? Yeah, I do because it's, even though they're random as what's out there. It's not random in terms of these are mine, those are yours. Gotcha. You know? Okay. There's no dice in the game. It's a common pool of right. cards. Right. By and large, right? You have you have the two in your hand. Right. Plus the yeah. well, and you know consistently there is only one East German card. <laughs> are the, you yeah. building the wall or are you not building the wall <laughs> as an example? 
So as far as game length, now you you were a little, and I was taken back by that too. I, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this might be one of the only games I've ever seen in which the described time on the box is longer than the actual gameplay. I don't yeah. see this as a two and a half hour game. No, I mean like Matt, Matt and I in our plays we haven't timed it, but I felt like it, it was an hour. I think ninety minutes oh, is maybe, it, maybe yeah maybe uh, our right. first one or something you know that kind no, of, I, yeah. Amanda and I have have gone ninety minutes on yeah. a couple of games. I can you see know. that with your AP. Ouch. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> no, um, no. I'd say it's it, it's a it's a sixty to ninety minute game. I think is reasonable. Sure. That's fair. And it could go shorter. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> due to poor play, it uh-huh. is possible. So, what about this game? Makes you excited to play it? I'm a big fan of asymmetric sides, and I think this game has it in spades. Even though it's only two players, there's two sides, obviously mm-hmm. east and west. And the two sides, even though the goals ultimately are the same goals, you're trying to raise your living standard high enough to to force mass protests and win the game. Even though that's the same on both sides, they feel completely different. It's like the East is just trying to survive, man. They're just trying to keep their heads above water and just, I mean, it's a constant battle just to just to stay alive. Whereas the West, the West is all strong and they're like, oh, look at all, all the wealth we have. They're building up left and right. None of their factories get run down and all that. And it's just, they're just... Polar opposites, yeah. just just thematically. Again, it makes sense because having not lived through much of the Cold War, being a you know a kid of the '80s, really, um, I assume that's kind of what it was like. Yeah, the East German deck doesn't have that card that says "Color Televisions Come to." You know, <laughs> right? That's one of my favorite cards. So, how about you? I mean, I, I have a I have yeah. a litany okay, yeah, here okay. of things that I enjoy. You know, with we talked about the cards and the random. Being that being the random factor, right? The order in which they come sure. out, sure, right? But I really like that. Essentially, the two players are playing a shared hand of cards, right? There's those seven and the two I got and the two you got. But most of the cards, it's that pool, that common pool, and so that really cuts down on the random, right? There they are. What's your plan this turn? It's fair for everybody, you know. On that note, what if there's good cards for both sides, right, out there? Like, okay, let's say I'm playing the East, you're playing the West. There's a really strong card in there that maybe lets me build factories in Czechoslovakia and Poland. Mm-hmm. And I look at that, but man, there are some really good cards for you too. I have a decision to make now. Mm-hmm. Do I play offensively or do I play defensively, at least for this half decade, for these seven cards that are out there, coupled with the or cards that are in my hand? Or this card play. Right. Very because, tactical. Right. And I'm, I, it's just, I, it's an interesting decision to decide, do I take the risk that if I don't take my card, the, the one that builds those factories, mm-hmm. odds are you're going to take it and keep it from, keep me from being able to build those factories. And so it's a, there's some metagaming there that goes on as well as tactical decisions. And it's, it's a cool instant decision that you have to make offense or defense. Fair enough. Having the freedom of the building of the infrastructure in your factories, I mean, where do you build it? How much do you build? When do you build it in your different uh, provinces? I dig that. I, I like having that. There's no hand-holding. There's just 
here you go. Here's West Germany. Um, <laughs> you start with two factories. Right. Go. Um, have fun. Right. You know, and, and design it how you will, kind of, the, the infrastructure, and, and balance it how you will. And on that note, in one of our most recent plays, Amanda playing as West Germany, it was pretty interesting because she just punted on two of the di- on two of the uh, provinces. Really, she just let unrest build. As long as she kept it below eight, she didn't care. Hmm. The reason being, she focused on everything else. Okay, so I have two mass protests there. That's a long way from four. Mm-hmm. She was like, "Yeah, that's fine. I'll let them." So it was it was interesting to watch the different strategy in how her choosing of building her infrastructure in the factories kind of coincided. It, it, it did that with that in mind. She built with that in mind going, okay, these two provinces to hell with them. There's going to be tons of protests. So be it. No, and I thought, cool. and I, I thought that was a really interesting strategy that, that she came up with. How did it work that. out for her in the end? Uh, it came down to 1989 and the game ended. Uh, and, and I ended up winning. Because neither um, collaped? Right. Right, be, right, be, right. The East survived, in other words. Mm-hmm. And But it, I'll be honest, at the end of the third decade and the end of the fourth decade, could have gone either way. Yeah. It was pretty close. So it seems like, at least, granted, you know, I'm not the... I'm hardly an expert at this game. I, You know, I have sure, a ton yeah, to learn yeah, still yeah. on this game. I still felt like that strategy is something I wouldn't have thought of, mm-hmm. but it seemed viable. And I thought that was really cool. Doing things like that and um, just the general gameplay, there is a, a natural tension that the game provides the players. Because you're always, even if you're the West, you're always trying to go, oh man, I... The pressure's on me. I can't screw this up. You know, if you're on the East, it's like, all right, you know, let's let's just, you know, hang on by the skin of our teeth. And so there is a natural tension that comes out of the gameplay. In that same game, in fact, uh, when I was playing as the East, there's, and I guess I I feel that tension more when I play on the East side than Mm -hmm. on the West. Um, And there's, there's a bit of frustration I found. But not necessarily a bad frustration, I don't think, in playing the East. Because as you build up, you're building up all this stuff and you're like, rock on. Look at all look at all these living standards I have. In the East? Right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the end of the decade comes. And you have to dismantle for this. Mm-hmm. And then you have to dismantle for that. And then you have to dismantle five more. And you're like, come on, man. It's just... I feel like all I'm doing is building up to tear down and it's just, it's frustrating, but it's, it's a cool tension that's there because you know, when you're building, you're building to, to survive just to keep your head above water. At least that's what I've found so far. So the event cards. Yeah. And the effects of them. I think the effects of any given card really blend well with the event that the card's depicting. Oh dude, the, I I wonder how how do you come up with that? Like I wonder just how much time went in to synchronize those things and make them balanced and to make it work. It's it's beautiful the way that that happened. Yeah. Um I definitely don't think it was it was by chance. It was absolutely designed that way and the amount of just skill that took. The like you said like um but like you well, said, the, the how... color TVs and your living standard goes up. Right. Know? And 
just how well integrated that is. Kind of roll just, in the Russian tanks and poof, protest goes out. You know, all of a sudden, where'd the <laughs> protesters go? Where, where'd you all go? Nothing like a T-55 to put a damper on things. <laughs> right. <laughs> and kind of on that same note, the theme, and while it's really abstracted mechanically, it really comes through thanks to both the artwork on the board and the cards, but also the titles of the cards, like the, the events themselves, yeah. like you said, like, you know... Oh, the East is allowed to, you know, make blue jeans now and stuff like yeah. that. And it's just, it kind of the first, at least the first time I saw these, because I'm not super well versed in Cold War history. I mean, I know about it and I'm a big history guy, but that's just not my, my forte as far as what mm -hmm. I know about. Um, seeing these cards for the first time was like, that was a big deal, huh? Wow. That yeah. was, that is cool. And, and. And again, it falls back onto those mechanics or, or the abilities that those those cards give when you play yeah. it for the event just matches. And it's, it's just really cool. Well, it's clear the designers gave a crap about, about the history and about the period, you know. And there's some little text in the back of the book. And my favorite card is, it's a Western-leaning card. But in spite of that, it's still my favorite. <laughs> uh, that is... <laughs> It's the it's the Kennedy Wait, speech one. Hold, hold on. Wait. You play red, too. <laughs> That's right. Now you ah. see. Now you see. Yes, comrade. Yes, comrade. The uh, the the card about Kennedy's speech because in the back of the book they they named the card the English version of it the same way that Kennedy made the notes in his speech so that he could be sure to pronounce it quote unquote correctly. So it says Ish be ein Berliner, you know, and stuff like that on the card and, and they mention why it says that in the book and everything. I just just little little touches yeah, like that. You know. And that's funny because I do the same thing when I'm when I'm prepping for the show. I do yeah. stuff phonetically and I still butcher it. How that's does right. that work? Luich. <laughs> so little things uh in the game. Like as plain as the East, I had mentioned that one of the special cards is you can build the Berlin Wall. Right. And those East-only cards are awesome. You can build the Berlin Wall. Right. Does not mean you must you don't build have to. the Berlin Wall. And I think that's that's cool. It, and, and that decision can help shape the strategy that the East is taking as a, as a general, you know, big picture-wise, as, as the overall strategic goal of what, or the, not the goal, but the plan that the East has can be formed around a single decision like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, again, the theme drips, even though mechanically it's uber abstracted. Agreed, sir. And I like that there's more than one way to win the game. I mean, it's a simple thing, you know, but I kind of like in Three Kingdoms, there are... Multiple ways to oh, trigger the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different ways to yeah. trigger the end of the game, and there's four ways, right? There's mass protests on either side. There's the socialism cubes, whether you can place them or not. Mm -hmm. Or if you're the East, congrats, you held on to the end. Right. <laughs> the wall did not fall, um, and I like that it's not so that. Or well, and there's another way. If I can't dismantle something. Oh yeah, and yeah. if if yeah. the east, I, sorry, the east if the east can't dismantle something, <laughs> if the east is forced to dismantle and they're not able to, they they lose immediately. 
Um, and I just like that because that limits it from being a race game to a certain thing because you're you're having to watch all these different things. You're having to balance the three tracks, the prestige, the Western currency, and the socialism track while you're also having to decide, like I said earlier, do you want to be offensive or defensive as the cards come out? And then on top of that, you have to keep unrest to a manageable level. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the whole kind of goal of the game is build your living standard. You got to do that. And so you have a lot of balls in the air and it's a lot to juggle, but it's an enjoyable juggling, ma- uh, you know, match, I think. So I want to take a minute and talk about the end of decade procedure. Let us do so. Flight of the Republic, which is, is the first step. Yes. Um, or the wall, if you've built it. Um, people flee East Germany and they're going to take, you know, some of the technical knowledge with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's shown in the game because you the East Germans lose infrastructure. You have to break, tear stuff down that you built yep. because you're losing that. And I think thematically that makes sense. Yeah, because as the East German player, you're going to do things that cause people to flee occasionally. Right. To help you in other ways. The police, the Stasi. The next step, prestige. Whichever side has the higher prestige kind of you know, hurts the other side. Um, often, you know, it's going to be reduced infrastructure, tear something down, depending on which side of the track. There's that push-pull that's going to be going on. I dig that. Western currency. So if the East doesn't have enough Western currency that it needs, along with all of its exports, i.e. its factories, to, you know, equal out it, it to satisfy its current lifestyle or, or living standard needs currency hard currency the factories become run down and it hurts your living standard and it, it hurts the east again mm-hmm. thematic next is that stasi you've got to break down infrastructure mm-hmm. and the people are pissed yeah because they're like damn it we don't like the stasi but so you have to tear down infrastructure so that hurts another way for the east that hurts next is the living standard there you check can you actually sustain right. the standard of can living you support in, it in, in which you've you've become accustomed if you can't you're going to lose those living standards and for the west it's really important to make sure that you balance those out because if you build up all in one well the other it's the important other, for both sides to do so fair enough I, I guess i'm just saying the west because the first time we played i learned this well, firsthand yeah. That I built up living standards in one province, and yeah. all the other provinces got jealous, and all of a sudden I had mass protests. Mass protests. The game ended at the end of the fifties. Something that's cool is when you're playing cards to uh, add your living standard. You can use the build points on the card to kind of cheat. I kind of think of it as financing your living standard. So you could get ahead of your of what you can support, and so this game calls accounting on that. This round of the game calls accounting on that. If you haven't then taken the action to support what you financed. Which rolls into the internal comparison, which is the next step. All the different provinces within the the West and all the provinces within the East look around and be like, hey, how come they're living so much better than we are? I want color TVs. Yeah, and be like, oh, we don't have color TVs? Unrest, let's rebel. (laughs) So next, though is kind of the the only direct confrontation in the game. And that's the East-West comparison. So folks look across the border and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. How come they're living so much better than we are? What the hell? 
The whole game is confrontation. But, <laughs> but I'm saying direct. Like, this is the one time but, uh, yeah, yeah, that, depending on how I've done, I can force unrest onto right. your side, regardless of what Not side of actions, defense I'm but on. the but the sum of my actions. I right. got you. Okay. And the living standards, if I have really good lo- living standards near the borders and you don't, you get unrest because your boys are jealous now. So here we go, the police. Now the Stasi get to go in and knock some heads and clear some unrest. You get to remove one unrest for every uh, for every Stasi you have. Next, you have the socialists. More come on the scene or some leave, depending on that, right. that track. Is it more towards the west or more towards the east? And the socialists are going to help you remove unrest Whenever the you know they're available, they go in and immediately calm down a mass protest by appealing to you know the socialist ideal. Yes, comrade. And finally, you have Versendas Volk or Keiner macht für Niemen. Bless you. I, I actually that sounded really good. I have no idea if it was, but that was really it sounded great. You sold it well. How's that? <laughs> and what that is is. That's the equivalent of Virsen das Volk on the west side. No power to nobody. Right. And so if you have four of those out there on the board, you know what? So sorry, you lose. So as you can tell from that, the east is more or less trying to keep their heads above water, while the west is trying to exert relentless pressure to force the collapse of the east. Like I said, asymmetric, but also thematic. So that pretty much sums up what we like about the game. All right. So there are there are maybe a couple things on the other side of the ledger. Indeed there are. First off, it's, it's uber abstract. I mean, uber. I maybe not uber to me. Okay, well, I think it, it because you're building infrastructure. That's that's vague. Factories you know. and roads. Right. Well, yeah, but how how is that going to make me woo excited? To live there, you know, where, oh, where, where yeah. are the theme parks? Where are the, where are the theme you parks? Know, where, where are the casinos? Where welcome you know. to Leninville, right, right. <laughs> so I'm just saying, it's it's an abstract game, and I mean, it's thematic, but it's abstract. Sure. Um, a popular phrase in the board gaming hobby is complexity for complexity's sake. Well, my question on this is: is fiddly for fiddly's sake? I mean, there's a fair bit of, let me lay this road down so I can rotate this factory so later I can pick it up and rotate the factory back the other way or put down this cube so I can pick it up later. And This is a fiddly, fiddly game. It doesn't necessarily bother me, but I, I agree in that I feel like all I'm doing is flipping roads and rotating ah, factories. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I, that's fair. Um, I just got done talking about the end of decade and how it's real procedural it feels like it kind of hurts the flow of the game because you're playing the cards back and forth and you're doing things, fiddly or not, but you're doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, end of the decade, okay, let's stop and let's run through this very procedural thing. And it just, thematically, it makes sense. It just breaks up the flow of the game. It's a German game. Procedural. <laughs> I get it. I just, it's... No, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, Democra is procedural, and I don't mind that. Right. Because the whole game is The whole is game that is way. procedural, right. Whereas this, it, it has kind of a free flow right. while, while you're playing the cards, but then stop. Got to make the game run on time. Right. I think we touched on it a little bit earlier, where it's really not a good game for an experienced player to play against a rookie, as it takes a couple of plays to learn the cards, get, get what's going on in the game. And um, so I see that as a bit of a... 
a barrier balance. to play okay, sometime, sure. right? You know, like, hey, me and X probably aren't going to play this game unless X is good with getting their clock cleaned a little bit until they figure it out. I got the feeling that, let me ask you this question, two experienced players are going to end in a East wins by tiebreaker default 90% of the time. I don't know if it's that high, but I would say it's That's it, the way our probably, games went. But, but again, I mean, you've played it, what, five, six times? Mm-hmm. I've played it four, and, yeah, and the overwhelming... East won by tiebreaker. Guess what? The West won. Tiebreaker should go to the West. Anyway, that kind of bugs me a little bit that the East win the tiebreaker. I get it. It's game because the East right, is it's harder. Mechanically, right, it's mechanically. Right. It's got to. I don't want to win because I did not lose. I, I, and 90% of the time, with two experienced players that know what the hell's going on, this is a tie game. And it's a tie game that I am just doing the same crap over and over again. Let me put this road down. Rotate this factory. Put this cube. Move this cube. Count them up. How many points? I'm. This game is meh. So that kind of <laughs> makes me think. Sorry. The, game, the decisions don't get bigger. The game just gets fiddlier. So you're saying it's, it's the same from, yeah. from first decade to fourth decade. There's no difference other sure, than just the, more the theme. Right. I hmm. just have more things to rotate and take off and put down and pick up and slide this counter this way so Matt can slide it this way. And Thank God it's only like an hour. You've been dying to break this out. I have just... you. You've been just <laughs> chomping at the bit for this part. So let me... I don't, I don't like the game. Let, let, I, me, let me bring this up. I do appreciate, don't get me wrong, many things that I see... And attempts and stuff like that. But just overall, the package doesn't work for me. For you. you okay. Know? Because we are, we're playing a game with the Cold War theme, we decided we wanted to play some Twilight Struggle. Both of us have a copy. Neither of us had played it. So we broke that out a little bit. And you can see some definite, I don't know, lineage or something. That's exactly what I was going to say. Know, right? And how yeah. the games play. But Inspiration. Yeah. Excellent. Um Twilight Struggle is obviously scaled different. It's scaled different, time frames different. Probably going to be a longer time frame. Oh, there's play. no doubt it will be. Well, unless someone screws up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just like in Versus Dustwolf. But I feel up. like I, I, I would agree with you in one sense that because I know you're not a fan of this yeah. game. Right. This game being Versus Dustwolf. Right. Um, I'm more excited having played Versus Dustwolf. A handful of times now. I am much more interested in going off and exploring Twilight Struggle oh, than I am well said. Well said. I, I share that sentiment completely. I, you know, just because of the longer time frame, I, maybe, you know, uh, and, and the design of the game, I guess, it, it is a more interesting game. Deeper decisions and there's a similar aspect in terms of like understanding what the cards are and the different uses and strategies and possibilities and, and uh, that's intriguing me. Um, in that deeper game. Even though it's obvious that you're not a huge fan of the game. Yeah. Um, go ahead, give me, hit me with your summary here. In summary, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of disappointed because, man, I was really stoked to get the game, play the game, and, you know, the theme really turns me on. And, but in the end, I just found it to be overly tactical, not very exciting, dull, fiddly journey to basically the same conclusions in gameplay, and just, you know, there's no real interesting decisions. Everything I've already said. Okay. So so I'm disappointed. 
Okay, you had higher hope or higher, higher expectations. Hopes. Yeah, and there's okay. things in there I like, don't get me wrong, but the total package, it's a disappointment for me. Okay. doesn't work for my tastes. All right. In closing, I wanted to say that I'm far from an expert in this game. I've only played it four times. I know there are people out there that have played it dozens and dozens already. And I definitely do not feel like I'm the end-all, be-all voice or opinion or whatever for Virsen Das Volk. There's still more about the game that I don't know that I don't appreciate yet. I enjoy the game, but I'm not clamoring to play it. Mm -hmm. Whereas Twilight Struggle... Similar game, similar theme, similar mechanics, different scale, different time frame. I'm chomping at the bit to dive into that game. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, take that for what it's worth. And I don't know if there's a direct comparison in that respect because they are completely different scope, different time frames. Time frame meaning gameplay sure. time. Um, but if there were, if given the choice, if time's a non issue, it's not a choice, as right. far as I'm concerned. So, some are rating. Yeah, you want to go ahead. And we're we're sure. gonna we're not gonna summarize all our ratings. We're just gonna give it and then describe yeah. what that one is. Sounds good. Up until yesterday, yesterday was Sunday. Up until yesterday, I had the game rated as a three. Okay. Which is, for me, you know, a mad below average, but has some interesting mechanics and and there's definitely something there. And yesterday, I had the opportunity to play Versindas Volk or learn Florenza. I could not bring myself to say, let's play Versindas Volk. So I changed my rating at that point to a 2. Interesting. Which, a 2 is more or less... It's me. It's you. Not it's the not, game. <laughs> right. It's me. Interesting. So, and because it's a case of diminishing returns for you, right? Yeah. And at first, I was like, oh, awesome. And then the second game was like, all right. And the third game was, huh. And the fourth game was, hmm. And the fifth game was, all right, we're good. Fair enough. My rating, and I've struggled with this because I, I've, I've wavered. I, I can make a case for it being a three or a four for me. And okay. in the end, I decided to give it a four. And here's why. Um, it's a game that I know my wife thoroughly enjoys. Cool. And I know that we'll be able to play that on a weeknight, yes. you know, in, in a short time frame, yeah. you know. Luckily. While I'm not excited to play it, it's not a painful experience like it would be for no. you. Not, not painful. I'm not, it's not painful. It's just, I look forward to playing it more than you. Yeah. However... If given the choice between this and Twilight Struggle, it's not a choice. I'd choose Twilight Struggle. And the good news is Amanda's right. Jones in to play that as well. That's she cool. really enjoyed that. Maybe if I could just add one thing. Between podcast and work and family, I have to budget my game hours. And that makes an impact on what I play. That's I, I that's reasonable. I mean, yeah. we are normal people. We have lives. We We, we do not have... Unlimited time to play games. Anyway, so I rated it a four, and that's four is a, above average. Above game. average, and it's it's a game that I own that I'm not looking to get rid of right now, gotcha. but is not guaranteed to stay here. Cool. All right, and that is our review of Virsendas Volk. Volk. 
Edward, uh, in this episode, we're going to continue the Ask the Elephant segment. But before we do that, you've got an announcement. Yeah, we were uh, fortunate enough to be asked by the board game group, uh, friends of the show, fans of the show. Facebook? Uh, on Facebook to co-sponsor a contest with them and to give away a little swag. And so we, we, they asked if we'd be willing to give, a, give away a t-shirt, a heavy cardboard t-shirt. And we said absolutely. What the contest was, was take a picture of you with your heaviest game. That you your yeah. favorite game got and some cool pictures. Yeah, got some got some really funny ones. Some some pretty good stuff. Everything from hegemonic to dominant species to to it ran the gamut to stuff like Takedo, which definitely is not a, a heavier game as far as we're concerned. But if it's the heaviest game that some people play, props for uh, for putting it out there. I appreciate it. No, everybody, you like what you like, right? You, you do indeed, man. So we went through and we randomized it because we don't want to play favorites and we it'd be near impossible to, to pick otherwise. And we ended up uh, rolling out a number that said Brandon Kempf. Uh, it, coincidentally, he's the only one who gave a video <laughs> entry oh, yeah, that's right. on that, and that was pretty cool. So congratulations, Brandon Kemp. Feel free to... Good job and cool video. Yeah, that, that, that was cool. Appreciated that he pointed out the heaviest game for his kids as yeah. well, for yeah, different, cool. different levels of, uh, or ages of the kids. So yeah, hit us up. Uh, either uh, hit us up on email, heavycardboard at gmail.com, and we'll, we'll arrange getting you your t-shirt. Congrats. Good job, Brandon. So on that note, let's go ahead and roll into Ask the Elephant. First off, let's start with Michael N. What games that haven't been distributed or announced for such outside of Europe would you guys suggest importing? Michael N., that's a damn fine question, and we will address that next episode. We will indeed. Doug F., he asked if we had an opinion on Mage Knight board game. Let me go first. It looks good. It's supposed to be a pretty epic, heavy puzzle of a game that should only be played solo or with two. Or so I've read. So you've read? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, uh, yeah. But uh, I own it, but haven't played it yet. Uh, and you? I've not played it. I'm not sure if that would be the kind of game we'd feature as our main thing on our show. Um, as far as you personally. I personally am not into, shall we say, thematic games. Which I think you covered in the first as the elephant. <laughs> yes, but I, I'm definitely interested in what what hearing from you, uh, Doug. What what makes it attractive to you? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm I'm yeah, sell us on it. Yeah. Brian F asks, Have you guys put a call out to the listeners to help with editing video for Arkwright? Because he was talking. Uh, people have asked me to do a across the table video for how to teach Arkwright, and I said no. But if anyone with video editing skills wants to help. I'll film it. Email us, heavycardboard at gmail.com. The pay is terrible. With apologies to Travis H. <laughs> he asked, uh, and Travis is a great guy, now that you've seen the glory of VSDV, would you change your favorite games of 2014? Tony, would you? <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And, 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 but seriously, I mean, that, that is a fair question. No, absolutely. It, you know, let's even assume that we both really dug the game. I mean, I, I really like our, our 2014 choices. You know, you... I thought about it. I know, week. you did. Um, I legitimately did. I enjoyed WSDV more than you did. And sure. I gave it some thought. But I'll be honest, I didn't have to think that long. Mm -hmm. Simple answer, no, I wouldn't. I, I asked myself, would I rate it higher than Panamax? No. Higher right. than Kanban? No. Definitely not higher than Arkwright or no. Three Kingdoms Redux. So that leaves 18 OE. 
And 18OE had enough cool stuff in it, and the production values are unlike any other 18xx game, so there's no way I would put this above it. So German Mike asks... Michael M. uh, First off, he, he says that... He didn't think that WSDV was heavy enough for a full feature. And to be honest with you, that's why we kind of had longer trailers. Right. Is because we didn't have as much to talk about yeah. with that. Um, he asks, uh, when we play WSDV, do we use the German card pronunciations? And has the game led us to looking uh, some of the events up online that we're not familiar with? As far as the pronunciations... Um, no. Nine? I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself any more than I already do with non-English words, so, um, no on that one. When I play with Matt, he does. His German's way better than mine. Mine is atrocious. But he also asks, when will we feature Virgin Queen or Here I Stand? 2016 at the earliest. Yeah. Um, I've only played each of those games once, and with you guys knowing that we like to try and play a game four, five, six times before we feature it, Dude, those are monster games, and hey, we might get a game of it in uh, during HeavyCon, so that would put us at two. A third one at BGG, you know, that's three. We're halfway there, so yeah, it's going to be a while. Luich M. asked if either of us have games in our collection that we would rate a one or a two on the heavy cardboard scale. Which ones are they, and why have you kept them? Why have you kept Virsindas Volk? Well, <laughs> I I, uh, I have two games that are, are rated a two in my collection, but no ones, no ones. I have no ones as well because I got rid of Global Mogul. I have uh, Versindas Volk now, right? Which would you say I was going for? About forty bucks. All right, so thirty bucks sleeved everything. Let me know. And uh, Amerigo by Steffenfeld. I'm a fan of Feld, but I'm not a fan of that game. It's one of those where Queen paid him to just design a game around their patented tower. You, I, I think the result is commercial, not inspired as a result. And my, we, we keep the game because my wife enjoys it. And frankly, with two, I can, I can take it. And, and she likes to play it. But Yeah, that, that's a game, uh, Diminishing Returns. I enjoyed it the yeah. first time and enjoyed it less the second and don't want to play it anymore after the third. No, no. For me, um, I do have, or I should say, I did have one that I had rated a two um, until uh, until our auction, and I was I was able to sell it mm-hmm. to uh, Jimmy. He uh, he bought Master of Economy. Yeah. I've gotten pickier on my games, and nowadays, if it's not something that I enjoy, I'm I'm just getting rid of it. Dave E asks, he says, I'm not a war gamer. Twilight Struggle has never done a lot for me. Prefer I, I should point out that big argument twilight struggle is really not a war game more no. political yeah. but anyway should i look into Virsendas volk or is it likely not going to be a good fit more broadly who is the target market for Virsendas volk i would say if you're not a fan of Virsendas volk then twilight struggle would probably not be a match at all if you didn't enjoy twilight struggle i can't imagine that you're going to enjoy Virsendas volk unless it's a, a time frame issue for you. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, but it just plays too long, then maybe Virsen Dustfolk would, would interest you. And finally, Matt W., who is a, a former Denverite and a person from our, from our game club, who uh, sadly moved to New Mexico, asked if, asks, it seems everyone thinks Caverna replaces Agricola. Hell nah. And he doesn't. 
He says, while they feel similar in mechanics, they feel like two different games to him. Do you think there's room on your shelves for both? And my answer is, absolutely. They're, you know, a definite a, a lineage there, but they're two different games. And I enjoy them both for the different things they give me. And honestly, like if you listen to our Agricola episode, we never mentioned the C word once. Yeah, they're different enough games. I agree that I don't feel a uh, Caverna replaces Agricola. I, I would make the argument that Agricola replaces Caverna myself. I don't really enjoy Caverna because I feel like it's too wide open. Um, and that's not what I want in a worker placement game. I want that tight, you know, restrictedness that a worker placement should give. And that's why I'm a huge fan of Agricola. That said, they are two completely different games. And I don't think Caverna would ever replace Agricola for me. Well, let's wrap up this episode. Edward, why don't you remind folks how to get in contact with us? Email us, heavycardboard at gmail.com. We love getting email. Hit us up on our webpage, heavycardboard.com. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Twitter, wait for it, at Heavy Cardboard. Also, as I said at the beginning, please take two minutes and not only rate rate us, but give us a review on iTunes. You get to hear your name, and we appreciate it. It's always appreciated, guys, really, genuinely. Please think of our sponsor when you're game shopping, Game Surplus, www.gamesurplus.com. Check them out. Yeah, Siri, uh, even if they weren't a sponsor of our show, I, I would say that uh, Velma and Amos yeah. are legitimately good people. They and are. I, I'm proud to represent them and that they represent us. I forgot to mention earlier that I had recently acquired... Peloponnese, Peloponnese. I think it's Peloponnese. Whatevs. Very cool little Civ game, very short, you know, not much to it. Tony, where did you get that from? I, I got it from Game Surplus. And it was a it was Ding and Dent. And and her thing on the on the site said it was really a banged up box and it really was it, it was like a your banged up box. Right? Yeah. Oh no no no. Worse. <laughs> oh, okay. It was twelve bucks. Twelve bucks. I mean, that's how bad the box was. Velma hand wrote a note on the receipt. Said Tony, if anything's missing, I have extras. Let me know. Everything was perfect inside the box, you know. So, but I thought that was really cool. That's that, that's and that's personal service. No, that and, and and that's not because no. she knows who we are. It's she's just it's that's just what they do. Genuine good people, man. All right, guys, we'd love feedback, and I'm sure we're going to get it uh, yeah. from this episode. But no, seriously, we uh, hit us up on our guild, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, email. We want conversation, yeah. and we want your opinion, even if you disagree with us. What do you, you think of be, the three games we talked yeah, about? Yeah, you can be wrong and tell us. That's fine. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, hit us up, let us know, and uh, we'll catch you guys in a couple of weeks. Here's a hint. It has to do with dinosaurs. Alvita Zane. <laughs>